BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Ooh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Plus. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 Plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection. Your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot Got menopause? We've got you. Hi, Jackie here, founder of ExoJackie. Feel supported throughout your menopause journey and beyond with our organic protein powders and symptom relief boosts. Formulated to keep bones and muscles strong, ExoJackie products help reduce bloating, hot flashes, and weight gain. Enjoy 20% off with promo code EXOPODCAST. Shop now at exojacqui.com. Made for women. By women. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says ice and silence and dark skies as we go around another year. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkabam. I'm Joe McCormick. That kind of put me in a in a moody mood. A melancholy mood. Yeah. That song, I don't normally talk about the lyrics I pick, but this in this case I'm going to. That song is called I'm Your Moon. It's by Jonathan Colton, and it's about Pluto and, and Charon. Aww. And it's it's uh, Charon singing to Pluto after Pluto has been downgraded from planet to dwarf planet. Aww. And saying, it's all right, I'm still here with you, and we're revolving around each other. You know, that's the thing. When people get upset about Pluto not being a planet anymore, I'm like, what's wrong with being a dwarf planet? Yeah. It's kind of insulting to Ceres and all these other dwarf planets that are pretty cool. Well, I think Colton's point was that the designation was almost created for Pluto, and therefore <laughs> that's why it's an insult. Like, we're not calling you that anymore. We're calling you this new thing that you are, and, and nothing else that we've classified yet is. But the reason why we chose that lyric, or why I chose that lyric in the first place... Yeah, act like we have any say yeah. in this. <laughs> Whenever I'm not here, you guys pick lyrics. That's um, true. But, uh, no, I, we we are going to cover New Horizons, the probe that has gone on this amazing mission to Pluto, the flyby of Pluto, and to talk about everything that went into making that mission possible, as well as the uh, some of the science that we've learned so far, knowing that we've got so much more to learn from this mission. And uh, it's really just a, a cool story. 
It's amazing that I grew up learning about Pluto as one of the planets yep. in our solar system in my science books. And, and I remember, you know, learning all the names of the planets and thinking about Pluto as just another one of them. But I, I think I didn't realize when I was a kid how, how we had never gotten a close look at Pluto. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, depending on when you were learning about it, I, I don't think that we had any concept about even what the atmosphere of the planet looked like. Until 1988. Yeah. So when I was a kid going to school, we didn't know anything about Pluto's atmosphere. Yeah, they were they, they were just making it up. They yeah. were just like, "Hey, so there's this planet called Pluto out there." Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, out there, y'all. Yeah, and you know, it's 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 probably icy. Pretty young in our our scientific knowledge. Like if you mm-hmm. look at at you know when we learned of these different planets, the discovery of Pluto dates back to 1930. Uh, discovered by Clyde Tombo. Who uh, named you know was able to discover this planet, which got him uh, a great deal of fame in uh, astronomical circles. Who was Clyde? Uh, Clyde was an interesting guy, very uh, eccentric astronomer. Very uh, he loved puns, so I think I would have gotten along with Clyde. <laughs> really well. Uh-huh. Are Smart there guy. non-eccentric ex- astronomers? Is that a I mean, subcategory of the field. There could be some who are just very, you know, very middle of the road kind of astronomers. I don't know. I think of astronomers as being dreamers. So I often think of them as being eccentric. No, I'm sure you have your astronomical accountants, the people who their favorite part of the job is logging the coordinates of the new object. Right. Or creating new spreadsheet mechanisms uh, to to sort the data. Naming those objects a (laughs) non-sequential series of (laughs) numbers. Like, I dubbed yeah. the CR1059.AR4. <laughs> You're so droll. <laughs> so uh, Tombo uh, discovered Pluto, but later on we would discover much more about this, uh, that it has five moons that we know of. There may be more, uh, the largest of which is Charon, which is more than half the size of Pluto if you're going by diameter. Uh, there's also Styx, Nix, Kerberos, and Hydra. We got a lot of hellish names going on here. The idea being that when you come out from interstellar space and you start entering into the solar system, you first pass <laughs> through the outer realm, the hellish outer You've realm. You've got to go through hell to get to us. Huh. Kind of. Or, I mean, or it, you know, it's the icy mouth of Satan out there. <laughs> to be yeah. fair, the 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 idea of the underworld and the uh, and the 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 Area beyond life in Greek mythology doesn't have quite the same connotation. As right. That. Not necessarily a place of punishment right. or so right. forth. Right. But right. The, we do get these like sort of like negative afterlife kind of feelings. We sure. got Pluto. He's the god of the dead, right? And, and it, you know, if it, a lot of very popular depictions of that character cast the cast him in a in a villainous or yeah. or malevolent light. Yeah, was he in the Disney Hercules movie? He was the vil- Hades was the, the guy villain. with the Hades. fire hair. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, yeah. played but, by James Wood. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely the Equivalent to Pluto, yes. Okay, so you got Pluto, you got uh, you got Styx. That's the river you have to cross to get to the underworld. Also, right? an amazing arena band. Right there, you go. <laughs> and then Karen is the ferry operator who gets you across the, the river Styx, right? Who, yeah, who you you have the coins that you have to have so that he will ferry you across. Yep. Now I don't know quite about the other ones. Oh, Kerberos. That's uh, no, I don't know. Okay, well. Hydra, Hydra's the multi-headed. Oh yeah, yeah, I know that one. Uh, all right, you know that one. Hail Hydra! Hail Hydra! Uh, you know, I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> Kerberos—that's the Greek pronunciation for. Uh, we often will make it a, a soft C. Cerberus, the three-headed dog. Oh, oh okay, there you go. okay. So, um, yeah, it's a. Uh, and by the way, I have a, a friend from high school who is. Uh, very knowledgeable in Greek mythology. And if he's listening to this episode, I do apologize for butchering the pronunciation of all these names because I know I am. But these were discovered later on. And this was really the the New Horizons mission was our, really our first chance to get a close look at these various bodies uh, before we had had a lot of pretty blurry images from various uh, telescopes. Oh, yeah. If you Googled images of Pluto just a couple months ago, you would get artists illustrations mm-hmm. 
but then you'd also get a photograph from the Hubble telescope that was basically a disk of yellow and black blurs. Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, NASA's actually released a series of photos that have been uh, taken over time of Pluto. So you can actually see our our view of Pluto in, improving. Evolve, yeah, yeah over it's, the years. it's really impressive. But before we get into the actual mission, I thought I'd talk a little bit, just kind of a quick overview of the history of planetary exploration using probes, because um, uh, it kind of tells you, you know, how how difficult this problem was and why it's been so why it took so long for us to get a close look at Pluto. Yeah. Uh, also, just to put in real quick, because we forgot one of these moons, Nix is the goddess of the night. Oh, oh. right. I, I didn't mention Nix. Yeah, thank you very much. Stevie for... Nix, the I goddess just... of the night. <laughs> uh, similar. I'm... I think they're related. So, yeah, we've I think got... it's one of those weird Zeus things. Yeah. Yeah. Sticks and Nix. That's yeah. awesome. Just yeah, wanted well... to put in. Don't don't want to forget anybody out there. I just like that we've got a real rockin' episode so far. Uh, all right. So <laughs> just the... like the wild <laughs> All right. No, I'm not going to go down that route. So the, the first successful uh, – Mission, a flyby mission using a probe, uh, would be back uh, in 1962 with the Mariner 2. That went by Venus. So it was the first time we sent a probe on a flyby mission of another planet. And um, it was the first mission to perform a successful flyby, but it wasn't our first try as a, as a, you know, as humanity's first try. It wasn't the first one. The first try was uh, with the Soviet Union in 1961 with the Sputnik 7 probe. That was meant to land on Venus, but it never escaped Earth orbit. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this story happens over and over for both the Soviets and for the United States. I mean, this oh, was yeah. uh, this was during the space race, right? No, I'm not making fun. I mean, obviously, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. There's, there's a lot of hard to do sad trombone noises that would go along with the rest of this this section here. Yeah, and and other attempts that would follow Sputnik Seven, but were also unsuccessful, were the Venera One and the Mariner One and the Sputnik Nineteen probes. Uh, and it wouldn't be until Mariner Two that we actually got a good look at Venus. Next came Mars, actually. So we didn't go to Mercury next. We went to Mars, uh, and that was the. Uh, Mariner 4 as the first successful flyby probe. That was in 1964. And I believe it was on July 14th of 1964, which happens to be the same date that we achieved this Pluto flyby. Cool. That's an interesting coincidence. Uh, other attempts to get to Mars included Mariner 3, Sputniks 22 and 24, and the Mars 1 and Marsnik 1 and 2 probes. Uh, actually, those two had been launched back in 1960. So if Marsnik 1 and 2 had been successful, they would have actually preceded the Venus flyby, but they were not successful. Uh, then we checked out Mercury in 1973 with the Mariner 4. Uh, Voyager 1 and 2 flew by Jupiter and Saturn in 1977. Voyager 2 would also go by Uranus and Neptune. So we had looks at all the other planets, but Pluto remained so far out there uh, that we had not had a chance to check it out. And so we launched the New Horizons probe way back in 2006. So it took more than eight years for it to go from Earth to Pluto. Uh, and it's funny because it almost didn't happen. We almost didn't have a New Horizons project. And if it had not happened when it did, we would have had a really long wait ahead of us to give it another go. So NASA had been debating on a Pluto mission for decades, and one of the proposed missions was called the Pluto Kuiper Express back in 2000. Uh, Kuiper referring to the Kuiper Belt, which is sort of like the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, but much bigger and on the very outskirts of right. our solar system. Icy objects way, way out there. Yeah, lots of uh, frozen, not just water ice, but methane and mm -hmm. other hydrocarbons. Uh, so the budget for this proposed mission just kept growing as time went on. Things were getting tagged on. This was during a pretty rough period during NASA's history. Ah, uh, yeah. This, this was during a lot of the space shuttle trouble and stuff like that. Yeah, and budget cuts. They mm -hmm. were they were facing big budget cuts, and the the there were budget plans that were proposed that didn't have money set aside specifically for missions like this, which also caused a problem. Uh, but eventually, NASA ended up canceling this project when it just got too complicated and too expensive. And that prompted the NASA associate administrator, Ed Weiler, to say that the plans to visit Pluto were officially dead for the foreseeable future. 
And here is why. So Pluto's got a really enormous orbit, <laughs> yeah. right? Gigantic. Yeah. And, and not exactly as close to circular as many of the other orbits. Right. Yeah, yeah it kind of dips in and out. Yeah, it's kind of an, what we might call an eccentric orbit. Yeah. And uh, if NASA didn't get a spacecraft on the way to Pluto within a few years of 2000, while it was as most interesting, we would miss that opportunity. Well, but most interesting. Aren't planets always... Kind of interesting. No, they're always kind of interesting. But some can be more interesting than others, and some can be more interesting at one time of the year than another. For example, when Pluto is closer to the sun, its atmosphere is uh, gaseous. Or so we suspected. So we suspected. But when it moves further out, scientists were worried that the temperature of the planet would become so cold that the atmosphere itself would freeze and fall to the ground. So you imagine like if you've ever seen any of those cartoons or anything where someone says something and their words freeze in the air and then fall. And just clatter. Yeah. It's kind of like that, but for realsies. That yeah. I I feel like I have felt cold before, but I don't <laughs> think I think I need to redefine. Yeah. You know, we're talking like, you know, seriously cold uh, here where where things that would be in gas form here on Earth would be would be solid there on Pluto. So. We wanted to be able to look at Pluto when its atmosphere would still be in atmospheric form. But because of that enormous orbit, we would only have a certain uh, a certain window of opportunity. Um, Pluto takes 247.68 Earth years to go around the sun once. And if we missed that point or that, that range where the atmosphere would remain in gas form, as far as we could tell, then we'd have more than two centuries to wait to try it again. Ah. And that that's... That's that's a really long-term budget plan, even yeah, for NASA. Exactly, so. right. And then they'd be like, well, why bother planning anything? Because by the time we'd get around to launch, all the technology is going to be different anyway. So it was very disheartening to those who wanted to look at Pluto back in 2000 when this mission was canceled. Uh, so in in order to get to Pluto in time to check out this atmosphere, they had one other chance, which was to use one of the other planets in our solar system as kind of a boost. Right. This is the Jupiter Gravity Assist. And right. uh, New Horizons is not the only spacecraft that has used this. Oh, That's yeah. Correct. We, we've talked about this a bunch on the show. It's it's basically when you get a probe or, or spacecraft near the orbit of something big enough to kind of uh, let it be captured by the planet and then keep going. So so it like it like gets this forward boost by by temporarily kind of kind of riding in the slipstream of the planet almost. Yeah, yeah pretty and much. Then like it, like that skateboard and in Back to the Future. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's yeah. like when Marty gets on the back of the truck and uses the truck to accelerate on the skateboard much faster than his little toe push could ever get him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the the you might think, well, if we have Jupiter there, then what's the big worry? We can just use Jupiter. Well, Jupiter orbits too. Yeah. <laughs> and and Jupiter's orbit and Pluto's orbit aren't you know, it's not like they're always in alignment. So you only have the amount of time where you can still correct for the the trajectory you're going to get with the the gravity assist so that you're still heading in the right direction so that you ultimately pass by Pluto. Uh, and the scientists had figured out that they needed to have this, uh, they need to have a launch before really January 2006 or right around there in order to take advantage of this. Now it turns out that they actually got there a little later than that because the, the calculations weren't, uh, like, like they, they had kind of been conservative by saying, if we don't get there by January 2006, we don't get there at all. Yeah. Uh, or if we don't launch by January 2006, there's no point in doing it. But uh, the point was that they needed to launch from Earth because it was going to take time to go from Earth to Jupiter and then even more time, obviously, to go from Jupiter to Pluto. So they used this new idea. They kind of started pitching this around. And there was a new group formed in NASA to design a mission that would become New Horizons. And they estimated the cost would be $500 million, which would include the rocket, 
needed to launch the spacecraft. So not just that the spacecraft would cost $500 million, They're saying the whole thing. That's thinking, not shabby. Yeah, considering how ex- – we've talked so many times about how expensive getting stuff into space is. Uh, it's actually pretty pretty uh, decent, you know, as far as space missions are concerned. <laughs> um, so they proposed this in 2001. Uh, there was a competitive mission pitch process where NASA was entertaining – mission pitches from various parts of the organization and NASA administration said, all right, let's fund this one. Let's see if we can make it happen. Uh, so the funding came from earmarks and budgets placed by members of Congress because the president, his budget plan did not cover anything that would go to this kind of mission. So in other words, it took an act of Congress in order to carve out parts of NASA's budget to allow this to happen. So New Horizons gets the funding it needs from this act of Congress, but there still were some other issues before it got to the point where it was doing a flyby of Pluto. Well, yeah, I know it's had some onboard computer problems. Yeah. Um, just after the gravitational assist from Jupiter, it had a computer issue. Oh, that wasn't even the one I was talking about. No, you were thinking of the one that was almost – that was just before its flyby. Yeah. Uh, no, they had um, – So cosmic rays, we've talked about these before on the podcast. Sure, high energy particles flying through space. Yep. Uh, So they they can cause computer glitches. Uh, Essentially, it ends up being like a control-alt-delete thing. It's not like it destroys the computer, but it does necessitate a reboot. Um, So there were cosmic rays that interfered with the computer. And at first, the team had anticipated that it would only happen once in New Horizons mission. They thought that the cosmic rays were infrequent enough and the, and space is huge that the odds were that New Horizons might encounter one. They get, they kind of factored that in. It turned out that it encountered several more on its way <laughs> to Pluto and it was fine. It, it would yeah. reboot and everything was okay. So no permanent damage was caused, but it did teach scientists something interesting like, wow, there's a little bit more of a chance of running into cosmic radiation than we had first anticipated. Yeah, more of that activity. Uh, and that control-delete kind of thing was also what wound up happening in the more recent computer shutdown. Yes. Yeah, that was very scary because we were right about to reach Pluto. Yeah, we were like 10 days out. Yeah. Yeah, specifically what was happening was that the computer aboard the New Horizons was being asked to do two things at once, and it was uh, the the combination of the two what required... Gave it Cartesian doubt. <laughs> it had too much... It required too much computational power. It could not do both of them at once. So instead of trying to do both at once and possibly damaging itself in the process, it shut down, went to its backup computer. And so for a and, while, and, we and didn't phoned know. Home. Yeah. Phoned home to say like, hey, help. Yeah, exactly. Don't like, know what to do <laughs> about like, this one. Uh, my main brain shut down. Can you guys look into that? And so, you know, obviously it takes a long time. For information uh, to get between the the spacecraft and us, yeah, uh, f- four and a half hours was the time difference at like like right then on that day. So that's you know a significant delay between getting a, a message out and being able to reply. Then you have to wait another four and a half hours for the reply to go out, and then you have to wait another four and a half hours to see if it worked. But everything worked out fine. The the engineers on the ground said, you know, this is exactly what the computer was supposed to do if this sort of thing happened. We know how to fix it. Uh, there were some reports, I would say, in the media that made it seem like the mission itself was in jeopardy, but all the engineers yeah. I was reading about, they were like, no, I mean, this was, it, you know, it, it, it obviously caused concern because of the timing. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But... And, and for that minute when, you know, they, they got the, the like help message mm-hmm. at first, you know, before they could check back in with the computer, there was that moment of them going like, oh, well, is this another computer shutdown or did an asteroid destroy our spacecraft? Right. And no one had any idea for like another yeah, did, four and a half to nine hours. There was always the chance that there could be a collision and that would have been the end of New Horizons. Uh, yeah. Uh, of the 496 planned observations, the shutdown prevented 30 of them from yeah. happening. Uh, so, so 6%, which, which sounds like a kind of large number in, until you kind of weight the importance of the observations by how close you actually are to the planet. Yeah. And this was still so far out or relatively so far out that it didn't do any, uh, irreparable harm. To yeah. The mission. The, there were, <laughs> most of the stuff I saw was like, it, 
It caused thirty of our observations to not happen, but they were thirty of the boring ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. It's all right. It I mean, caused... it hadn't crossed over into the underworld yet. No, no, no. It caused a few of our staff members to sleep on the floor of the APL that night. Yeah, but so I thought we could talk a little bit about some of the instruments that are on the New Horizons. This, these are the things that are gathering the information, and they were purposefully made fairly simple. They decided not to go super uh, elaborate and, and load this thing down with, you know, a hundred instruments. There are only seven aboard the spacecraft. Um, and they have great names. Are they also named after demonic entities from the underworld? Yes. Ralph, the demonic <laughs> entity from the underworld, is the first one. You oh, know, no. You know, quake and fear upon the approach of Ralph. Uh, Ralph may be what you do in the underworld. If you've <laughs> If you're at a certain level of yeah. the underworld, mm-hmm. then yeah. I recall lots of Ralphing in one of the levels of Dante's Inferno. Yeah. Uh, no, Ralph is a visible and infrared imager and spectrometer, and it is able to create thermal maps of surfaces and provide color and composition, uh, you know, enhancements to images. So a lot of the pictures that we see, by the time we see them, they've gone through a couple different layers of enhancements so that we can really make sense of what we're seeing. It's not the, what the raw data would normally represent. Uh, then you have Alice. Uh, which is an ultraviolet imaging spectrometer, and that's used to examine the composition of Pluto's atmosphere and can also search for an atmosphere around other bodies like Charon and Kuiper Belt objects, or KBOs. Uh, then you have Rex, the radio science experiment. So why isn't it our sex? Oh, wait, now I know. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, so radio science experiment or Rex, which measures atmospheric composition and temperature. Uh, it's a radiometer. Then you have LORI, L-O-R-R-I, the long range reconnaissance imager, which is a camera with a really amazing telescopic lens. Um, and that is what has been used to take pictures of Pluto's far side, the side that's facing away from us. And it also provides high-res images. Um, then you have SWAP, the solar wind around Pluto. That's a spectrometer that analyzes solar wind and plasma. And it can also measure the escape rate of Pluto's atmosphere. We'll talk a little bit about Pluto's atmosphere in a second because that's really cool. Uh, Pepsi. You can't do that. What? What's oh, Pepsi? Oh, it's two S's. Completely okay. different. Yeah. There's, no yeah, trademark. So Pluto. Named after the uh, ancient Scandinavian goddess of refreshing beverages. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Carbonation. Out of, out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. From if I'm hell. Not mistaken. Yeah. Again, no. Uh, Pluto Energetic Particle Spectrometer Science Investigation. That's what it stands for. It's an energetic particle spectrometer which measures the composition and density of plasma escaping Pluto's atmosphere. So similar to SWAP in that way. And then you have the SDC, the Student Dust Counter. It doesn't count student dust. Uh, it said was designed by students to count ah, dust. Okay. Yeah. So students designed this uh, instrument and it measures the space dust that New Horizons encounters throughout its voyage. So uh, kind of cool. And uh, so far it's found tons of science. Yeah. yeah. Surprising things, too. Things we didn't expect to find. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the surface color data that we've started getting back indicates that there are three zones on Pluto. A kind of kind of dark zone around the equator, then then mid-colored zones around the mid-latitudes, and uh, icy-looking zones in, in the polar regions, which the New Horizons team is, is guessing uh, is the result of seasonal ice transport from the equator to the poles. By ice transport, we don't necessarily mean like trucks taking ice. Well, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not, we're not counting anything out yet. Here. We, you know. I've seen a lot of uh, talk about the methane forming glaciers and yeah. like glacial activity. Yeah. The, the methane and nitrogen and carbon monoxide yeah. are forming glaciers because it is like negative 390 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Very chilly out there. Uh, yeah, super interesting. Also, there's that heart of Pluto region. Right. Yeah, yeah, so that's this... one of the big surface features everybody's been noticing and, and, right. and drawing cartoons about. Yeah, yeah. This is the vaguely heart-shaped. I've also seen several uh, memes of uh, the image of Pluto the cartoon dog superimposed on Aww. top of this particular mm-hmm. region because mm-hmm. from one angle it looks like a, a the, you're looking at Pluto in profile. Sure, yeah. Pluto with the, the ear. dog. Yeah. yeah. There's also the Pluto surface whale. I've also seen it suggested that since there is, you know, no 
correct way up in space that uh, that we are looking at the tuchus of Pluto? Oddly enough, not the dark side of Pluto. This lighter colored region appears to be a concentration of carbon monoxide ice. What? Yeah, and it <laughs> intensifies toward the center of that frozen area. So the concentration of carbon monoxide grows as you get toward the center of this Mass, But of course, the most scientifically remarkable thing about it is not that it is heart shaped, but that it is so smooth. <laughs> I mean, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, like Barry That's White. One. Yeah. One of the odd things is that you would expect there to be a lot more indentations and craters. Exactly. Because you would expect, you know, Pluto was essentially, you know, kind of blasted by other materials, but so we expected to see lots of pits and craters on the surface. Like you do on the moon. And and when you don't see that, then you start to have to ask yourself, why isn't it like that then? What is going on that means that why don't we have these craters and pits? Right. So it's typically been suggested, well, if we're looking at a smooth region on Pluto, that must mean that this region for some reason is geologically younger than we would expect any part of the surface of Pluto to be. Yeah, in fact, the estimations are that the surface has been geologically active within the last 100 million years. Ooh, that is nothing. That's nothing on a geological scale. For a planet, it's been around for 4 billion years. In fact, I, I saw a report from Science Magazine that said that the New Horizons team member John Spencer suggested it might even still be active today. Which is pretty... Interesting. That's also where I think I've seen some of the mentions about glacial activity. Uh, and so we've got this one region that's informally called the Tombow region. Uh, within that Tombow region, there is a <laughs> specific area of, of ancient cratered terrain where some of the craters have been filled in by very much younger ice. And they're calling this the Cthulhu Regio, because they hate us yeah. and our ability to sleep. Yeah, yeah, Cthulhu Fatagan. Uh, yeah, and so much, <laughs> so so much stuff about this is surprising to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting back into the glaciers that we talked about, we mentioned that before with the the carbon monoxide ice, the nitrogen ice, the methane ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's amazing, and that we don't we don't really understand how all of these different uh, land masses came about. Right. You know, that's a large uh, mystery to us, too. So there are a couple of different hypotheses that we have about the various cracks and troughs that are on the surface of Pluto and how they might have formed. One is that maybe it was through contraction of the surface, which is like when you have a muddy area and then the sun comes out and it dries, you see those cracks form as the as the mud solidifies into dirt. Oh, mm-hmm. sure. OK, so so maybe the, the orbit of Pluto taking it back into the closer to the sun and letting some of these carbon monoxide glaciers melt. Possibly. Uh, the other possible you know, another hypothesis is convection in which Pluto's interior would warm the frozen carbon monoxide. Uh and but that, that of course, raises questions all on its own, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Like, how would that happen? One of the big lingering questions that's left by the new discoveries about Pluto is if we assume that these surface features are explained by heat coming from the interior of Pluto, so geologic activity, uh, convection, warming coming from the center of planet, where does that heat come from? Because we wouldn't expect it to be there. I think it's love. Uh, yeah, no, these are, these are the, this is why the scientists absolutely have been, uh, bubbling over with excitement because Mm -hmm. it's when you discover stuff and you don't know the answer to the question that really gets people like their imagination going and they have to start coming up with ideas and then finding ways they might be able to test that. Yeah. So I've read a few just proposed hypotheses. I mean, nobody knows the answer yet. But one of the ideas is that Pluto and its moon Charon were actually formed at a much more recent impact event than was previously thought. Uh, you know, the idea is that they formed a long time ago when things were smashing together in the early solar system. You could explain them having more heat inside if they had formed much more recently than we expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, another explanation would be if there are compounds present on Pluto and Charon with lower melting points than we would expect. Uh, or you could maybe explain it in terms of tidal forces. But I think it's cool that we don't know the answer to this yet. Yeah. No, that's it's 
it's great in the sense that it gives us uh, goals, right? Like now we know these observations. But now we have to explain mm-hmm. what caused the the stuff we observed. Yeah. So pretty awesome. Uh, there are other some some other features on Pluto that we should talk about. Uh, there's some dark streaks across the plains of Pluto that suggest that wind could have been blowing material across the frozen surface. Uh, also, the mountains on Pluto seem to be about 100 million years old or younger, similar to some of the other features we were talking uh, about. Mountain building, again, is evidence of geologic activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and because of that lack of craters, again, that tells us, you know, generally how old they must be, because if they were older, we would expect to see a lot more craters on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and normally we would say that uh, a planet's a planet's mountains would be formed by some uh, uh, gravitational interaction between other planets that would generate the heat that would lead to major geological activity. But we have to kind of discount that for Pluto. It's too far out there for the, to, that to be a factor. So it's not like the thing – the forces that we understand that act upon other bodies don't necessarily pertain to Pluto. It's too small and too far away for that uh, gravitational interaction to generate the heat necessary, at least as far as we understand. It may be that there's something going on that we had not factored in, and then we have to revise our ideas of what is possible, which is also super exciting. Then we can talk about Pluto's atmosphere, the which was largely a mystery to us. You know, mm-hmm. this was the whole reason why we wanted to go when we went, because we wanted to make sure we could observe it while it was still in atmospheric <laughs> form and not just chunks of ice on the ground. Right. Um, so... Pluto's atmosphere has been observed as far out as 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers from its surface, which was much further out than previous observations, which were around 170 miles or 270 kilometers. And it also contains a haze. There's this uh, there's this great image of Pluto from the far side of Pluto, where New Horizons has already gone past the planet, taking pictures back from the way it came. Ah, uh, right, right, with sunlight kind of filtering through. Yeah, the atmosphere. It, it looks like it's but the cover. actually filtering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I was gonna say it looks like the cover of the ring for the <laughs> the well where you get that ring of You're light. You're totally right. Yeah, um, it does. But yeah, it's this haze that's around the planet, and and that haze is really interesting. It's actually a couple of different complex hydrocarbons like ethylene and acetylene, and those are uh, byproducts. That's what remains from methane after it's been broken down by ultraviolet light. So so in the upper atmosphere of Pluto, you've got the solar radiation interacting with the atmosphere and smashing up those methane molecules. Yeah. And, and then, kind of dribbling this beautiful haze down onto the surface. Exactly. It, it falls through the atmosphere of Pluto and condenses on the way down. And that's where we're getting this this haze. I think that, I read that's where Pluto's red color comes from, isn't it? Yeah. It turns into this reddish brown goop. And so <laughs> goop being the scientific term. Yes. Yeah. Goop, it, goo, whatever you want. Gunk. I mean, there are a lot of different words I could use. Uh, uh, but at any rate, the hypothesis is, in fact, this is what gives Pluto that color. It, it may just be a one contributing factor to that, actually. You know, we mm-hmm. can't can't definitively say that that's the main reason or the only reason for the reddish coloration, but it seems to be contributing to it. Uh and then scientists have been observing some fluctuations in Pluto's atmosphere, the changes in the atmospheric pressure, actually. The, there were earlier observations that were made where the pressure was at one level. But as New Horizons went by, it was much, much less. And scientists believe that, in fact, we are observing Pluto while it's undergoing a global change in atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. The the atmospheric pressure on the surface of Pluto right now is just one one hundred thousandth of Earth's surface pressure. Yeah, uh, and they they measured this by sending radio waves to Pluto as as the probe was passing directly behind it, and and therefore measuring the the distortion of those radio waves through the atmosphere, along getting those really beautiful pictures of of the sun filtering through. So super interesting. Like it may be that this was just incredibly fortuitous mm-hmm. that we are actually looking at this planet in a moment of transformation. And who knows? What if this had not worked out? And we had not been able to send the probe at this time. And we had to wait another couple of centuries. The people that then would look at Pluto would see something fundamentally different and not necessarily even know that it's a different different uh, condition than what we would have observed if 
you know, with New Horizons. Yeah. Which is kind of, kind of mind blowing, really, because this is stuff that happens over millennia. So, so to see something in, in that much flux is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Of course, lucky for us, one of the coolest features of Pluto that we've observed so far is the direct evidence of the erosion of Pluto's atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. So Pluto has a tail, which anyone who knows Disney is not surprised by. Uh, it's on every single one of the cartoons. Go pun yourself until <laughs> you are ashamed. So Pluto, Pluto does have a, a, an atmospheric tail. So the, the the soft the solar wind that that radiation uh, it impacts the atmosphere. Pluto does not have super strong gravity. That atmosphere is getting stripped away, and uh, on the backside of the planet. You, you could sort of think of it. Imagine that you've got water that's hitting a round rock mm-hmm. and you'd see the water kind of move around that rock and then rejoin on the other side. That rejoining part, think of that as like the tail that's being pulled away from Pluto. That's where the solar wind has gone around Pluto and, and started to strip this atmosphere away. Uh, that's why you have the various instruments aboard the New Horizons to look for plasma and, so, and, and you know indications of solar wind. And also measure this this uh, rate of the atmosphere being stripped from the planet, and it's pretty interesting. Um, also, we're seeing some new pictures of Charon, Nix, and Hydra. Uh, the photo of Nix shows like if you see the pictures of it, it's kind of this weird pink, kind of like a shape. jelly bean. Yeah, jelly beanish. Yeah, yeah, reddish pinkish kind of hue. Uh, but NASA does point out that the color of those photos has been enhanced. And Nix looks exactly like it came out of the sequence where the Millennium Falcon is going through the asteroid belt in uh, Empire. Huh. Um, it looks like an asteroid from Star Wars. Uh, and Hydra itself may actually be covered in water ice, which is kind of exciting. Ooh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, we still have lots of things to... To ask ourselves, like, where is the heat coming from on Pluto? Yeah. Don't know. It's kind of cool. Yeah. In addition to the other uh, hypotheses I mentioned earlier, I was, uh, again, reading about this in this uh, science magazine. So radioactive elements inside planets can, of course, explain heat coming up geologically. Yep. But that's thought not to be the case uh, for Pluto and especially Charon just because they're so small. Mm. But they they would have radioactive it did out already right. if that's how you <laughs> verb that noun. Yeah, if they had it all, I guess. Yeah, like they, they essentially their batteries would be drained by this point. Yeah, yeah. right. So uh, of course, it it turns out that they're much younger than we uh, we originally thought. Maybe that's the explanation. Yeah, yeah, it but could be. That's why we're looking. So yeah, uh, really interesting there. Um, one other thing to mention is the fact that we don't have. All the information because New Horizons is still sending it to us. Uh, yeah, and there's really quite a lot of it. We're going to spend the next several months, I think, receiving nitty gritty little bits of geological data. Yeah. They kind of sent all of the big, inter- interesting photos out first to be like, hey, look at this shiny thing. Yeah. Everyone be excited about it. And then it's going to be plotting through logs and logs and logs of data for a while. And, and it's not getting to us quickly for two very good reasons. Uh, so first of all, we probably won't be seeing the last of the Pluto data until maybe December 2016. Mm-hmm. That'll be when we – by then we should have received the last of it. Man, speed of light so slow. Uh, it's speed of light and it's also the fact that they're using the equivalent of like a 1200 baud modem <laughs> on the New Horizons, <laughs> which is actually true. They they are um, – they're using a, a transmitter that has a throughput of between 600 to 1200 bits per second. So if you're sending something of significant size, it's going to take some time to get to uh, Earth, not just because of the distances involved, because yes, as we've st- said, even light's going to be traveling, uh, you know, at, at a top speed where it's going to take hours to get back to Earth, but also because of the throughput, if a file is of a significant size, then, you know, four and a half hours after it's been sent from the the probe, we start getting the first bits and then we have to wait several hours for it to complete. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this whole process is going to take quite some time. And uh, uh, the 
the probe itself has a couple of different recorders on it, solid state recorders, each of which has eight gigabytes of storage space available. And that might not sound like like a lot of, of data, eight, eight gigs, you know, and these are modern times of having you know, cell phones with a terabyte on them or whatever it is that people are walking around with these days. But but in the terms of space exploration, it's it's really quite a lot. Right. And when you factor in that you're only able to send it at 600 to uh, 1200 bits per second, that takes a very long time to send that much information, assuming that you've even filled up the drive. You may not have, but still, it's going to take a long time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- that might not sink in because you might not even interact with the measure bit in your day-to-day life. Yeah. Like a, a bit. What is a bit, Jonathan? Uh, uh, so a bit is one-eighth of a byte. <laughs> yeah. And then like, – so a gigabyte is a billion bytes. Uh, so eight billion bits. Um, well, roughly speaking, because if we want to be really, really specific, then you have to start going like, oh, well, a kilobyte is actually 1024. But it doesn't – we're not going to get into those those little tiny details. Uh, but yeah, generally speaking, you know, if you're talking about 600 to 1200 bits per second, getting through a gigabyte is going to take you quite some time. Yeah, it just makes me think back to my – early days of using a dial-up modem and connecting to bulletin board systems. Um, I think it said something along the lines that it would take you several hours to download a standard picture. Like uh, like if you were using your phone with the same sort of data throughput and you wanted to access a picture, you would start and then maybe like two hours later, you might have a picture to look at. I remember doing that in like circa middle school. Yeah. Okay. Fine. For middle school for you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I remember when I was in like uh, elementary school. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. Elementary school. Fantastic. You try yeah. to download a picture. It might take an hour. Yeah. But, you know, then you'd print it on your printer. Yeah. And my hang favorite, it up on your wall. My favorite was when you would start downloading a picture and someone would pick up the phone line. Oh. And, oh. and yeah. He was, <laughs> I needed this picture of Judas Priest. Why would you do that? <laughs> I'm not even going to be able to find that Sailor Moon comic again. <laughs> so the the other things we might learn uh, due to the New Horizons traveling around will be more information about some of the other moons of Pluto as well as Kuiper Belt objects. They're supposed to they're going to try and have the probe fly by some Kuiper Belt objects and, and get a better look at those to get an idea of the composition of those objects. And then assuming the probe doesn't collide with anything or suffer any other kind of failures, it will continue Get on eaten its way. by space monsters. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> darn sandworms. Uh, assuming none of that happens, it will just continue on its way and eventually enter interstellar space, following in the footsteps of Voyager 1 which did that uh, back in 2012, although we didn't get confirmation of it till much later. Yeah. So uh, Voyager 2 still not in interstellar space yet. So which is going to be the first one to reach Planet X? <laughs> oh, by the way, this has confirmed there is no Planet X. Oh, <laughs> no. Well, unless it's like maybe what if what if Planet X is just on the opposite end of Pluto's orbit no. and further out? Well, then New Horizons yeah. wouldn't have any idea, right? You know, right. I actually have heard I think people say it's possible for there to be larger objects way out there somewhere in the Kuiper Belt where we can't see it because it doesn't radiate or reflect enough light for us to detect. And, and who knows? They might be right. It's just one of those things where, you know, we have certainly been looking out there, but if it's because they're so far away and they're, they're, they're large, but not like, like large in the sense of Jupiter large, they're not large enough for it to, to reflect enough light for us to detect easily. I don't see why that's impossible, yeah. you know? Large and made of Vantablack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it could be that they just absorb light to the point where it's it's darker than what black is, you know, yeah, like, like that yeah. material developed here on Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the I, universe is a mysterious place. It is. It is. And it's getting less mysterious as we send more missions out like New Horizons. So this was really a lot of fun to look into. I mean, it was great to see the excitement in the general population as the images started to come back and we got a, a, our first real close-up look of Pluto. Uh, I know some people thought, 
oh well that's kind of sad we've looked at all the planets now like now we've got now we've got images of all the different planets where what's left there's so much more left <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah you can always send better cameras uh, yeah. you can always you can always send more instruments you can always go further out yeah you can and always land yeah. more stuff on weird stuff like comets my goodness people we've got so many other things we can learn about so and that's just within our solar system let alone beyond it yeah so, do not worry that we're running out of mystery that is a ridiculous fear yeah, it's a it is a a <laughs> an enormous resource that we have only begun to sample we're just wallowing in it yeah so uh hey if you guys want to wallow in other stuff preferably topics about the future send us some comments and questions and suggestions we would love to hear from you Are send you- us your rant about planet x yeah that's that or you can send that to stuff they don't want you to know <laughs> uh but uh, our email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com you can also drop us a line on twitter google plus or facebook at twitter and google plus we are fw thinking Go to Facebook, search FW Thinking, we'll pop up. You can leave us a message there. We do read all of them, and we look forward to talking to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Got menopause? We've got you. Hi. Jackie here, founder of ExoJackie. Feel supported throughout your menopause journey and beyond with our organic protein powders and symptom relief boosts. Formulated to keep bones and muscles strong, ExoJackie products help reduce bloating, hot flashes, and weight gain. Enjoy 20% off with promo code EXOPODCAST. Shop now at exojacqui.com. Made for women by women.